0: Did anybody bring a Bible tonight? Yes. Good, that's the plan, right? If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you go out and get one. If you need, if you say I don't have the money for one right now, talk to us. We'll get you one. Uh, so important for you to have a Bible in your own life. Watch you take the delay right off there, bud. <laughs> I can pretend I'm preaching in front of thousands, but I'd rather just not. Uh, do you really like those? Really, really? I don't like fluorescent lights at all, but that's okay, you know, whatever. Let's get into the word. I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to hear what God has to say, Um, and that's a good thing. As you know, if you've been here for a little bit, you know that we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians on Wednesday nights, and it's been exciting for me. I hope it has been for you as well, Um, and you see a little bit of heart behind uh, the relationship between a minister, and, and the people he's ministering to, and, and uh, you see the heart of an apostle, you see the heart of a pastor, and uh, it's a good thing, it's a good thing, we're going to get into that in Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, a few weeks ago, and it's been weeks since we were able to get into it together because my wife and I were out of town, uh, but a few weeks ago we read about how the apostle Paul said that we all will be laid open, we'll all be revealed in front of the judgment seat of Christ. And many people are, are terrified of that. But as believers, you don't have to be because we know that Jesus took your penalty. He took your punishment. Uh, that's the great message of the cross is that he bore the wrath of God. The, what you had rightly earned and deserved, that, that stuff that you had deserved, you, you don't have to pay for that on judgment day. The Bible says, and God said, this is his new covenant with you. He said, in your sins, I will not take into account. So the scripture says that we will give an account But he says our sins he will not take into account on that day. In other words, you won't have to pay the punishment for those sins. Nevertheless, there's not going to be any secrets on judgment day either. Because he says we'll be revealed before God. So his point there was we're going to be revealed before God. Why are we trying to pretend to be somebody else now? We're going to be revealed We're going to be laid open. Everything's going to be visible. So we might as well live our lives in such a way that we can say, I'm happy to be seen by you and to be seen by God. I'm not afraid. I'm living a life that's not secretive. It's not deceptive. It's not a stage. It's not an act. But it's something that's real. It's the fruit coming out of my real relationship with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, um, on, and many times based on the fact that they had uh, some apostles come along that were kind of flashy and uh, had letters that commended them and, and really made them seem pretty big and pretty important. And when the Corinthian church said, well, Paul, where are your letters? He turns around and says, well, we don't have any fancy letters. We don't think we need them. But he says, if you need a letter, you're our letter. Because the fruit of real ministry The fruit of real ministry is not that you have a good highlight reel. The fruit of real ministry is not how many books you've sold. The fruit of real ministry is not how much you make. The fruit of real ministry are those lives that have been affected by God working through you to do what you could not do. The fruit of real ministry, you should be able to say, look at them, they're my letter, known and read by all men. And then he says, since we're open before God, he says it's not a problem for me to be open in front of you. And I hope that as we're made uncovered in the sight of God, that I'm also uncovered in your own consciences. What he's saying by that is, as an apostle, go ahead and look at me. And look, what you see is what you get. I'm not trying to be something else. If if I'm who I am before God, I'm pretty happy to be who I am in front of you. And he goes on and he says, because he has come under some criticism, he's got some explanation here. In 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to start reading In verse 11, and and I referred to this earlier, we're going to start reading there, kind of overlapping on what we've read a few weeks ago. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, which means we're uncovered, we're revealed to God. There's nothing hidden from him. He says, Because we're uncovered to God, I hope that we are made manifest in your consciences, which means I hope you can look at us and you judge us. What you see is what you get. I hope that you can look and see there's a life that I can follow. Then he says this in in verse 12. He says, we're not again commending ourselves to you, but we're giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. This church had had tons of flashy people come through. He said, And and he was kind of revealing them for what they were. Real big on the flash, but not real big on the substance. And he says, I want you to take pride, not in the flash, not in the show. I want you to take pride in somebody who sold out to God and is genuine and sincere in front of you. And then he says this in verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, now that is the new American standards, nice, calm, collected, sophisticated way to say, if we seem Crazy. If we seem crazy, because, come on, guys, we don't say that anymore. You don't walk down the street and say, that man is beside himself. That's not something you say. That'd be a real nice way of saying, you are just nuts. And he says, if we seem crazy to you, it's for God. And if we're of sound mind, it's for you. And that's such a huge statement because you've got to realize that anybody that's called and that includes you anybody that's called by God is going to seem absolutely bonkers insane to a lot of other people and here's the reason here's why you'll seem insane read the next verse he says in verse 14 for the love of Christ controls us when the love of Christ controls you you seem wacky to everybody else because other people are controlled by other things primarily not by the love of Christ, not by the love of others, but the love of self. What's the love of Christ? It doesn't just mean that you have love for Christ, but it means that you have his love in you, right? And what is the love of Christ? The scripture says, love one another as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for you as an offering and a sacrifice to God. The love of Christ is not just a, well, you know, I'll send them a card every now and then. I'll send them a Facebook message saying, I'm thinking of you. I feel warm fuzzies every time you come to my mind. I wrote a song for you. I forgot it, but I wrote it. I mean, these are things that, that you know, they kind of, you know, when you see somebody and you say, oh, I miss you. And uh, you haven't seen them for three years, but you say, I've really missed you. I've thought about you from time to time. It doesn't mean a whole lot to them, does it? because if you miss me so much, why didn't you call me? Or why didn't you write me a letter or something? Why didn't you come see me? I just live 20 minutes away. The love of Christ is so much deeper and so much bigger. The love of Christ is not simply a warm, fuzzy feeling. The love of Christ is not simply being happy uh, to know somebody or even to see someone. But the love of Christ causes you to lay yourself down for someone else. The love of Christ sends you into the traffic instead of away from it. The love of Christ sends you into the gunfire instead of the opposite direction. The love of Christ, he says, does not just influence us. doesn't just inspire us. It controls us. It controls us. So we might seem a little crazy because we're not being controlled by what everybody else is being controlled by. You know in Ephesians when it says that the world, it says you formerly walked as the rest of the world did And he he talks about how the world is walking on a path. It says, according to the course of this world. Which means the rest of the world is on a path. And he says, that path is according to the prince and the power of the air. That's another fancy way of saying Satan himself. There's a path laid out that God didn't lay out. It's in fact laid out by the other guy. I shouldn't say the other guy because Satan and God are not on the same level but it's a path laid out by the wrong team and the rest of the world is following it and he says but that's not the path that you're on you've been rescued from darkness and you've been brought into light and so now that we're controlled by the love of Christ we might seem a little bit nuts a little bit crazy he says if we're crazy it's for God If we seem crazy, it's for God. He says, if we are ever a seem of sound mind, we're doing that for you so that you'd hear this message, so that you'd get it. Everything we do is so that the gospel will reach you, affect you, and change you because it's the love that controls them. You know, you can't be an effective minister. Whether you're a minister behind a pulpit or whether you're a minister at your job, you can't be an effective minister without having love just doesn't work. Have you ever felt like you knew you were supposed to, as a Christian, you were supposed to tell people about Jesus, you were supposed to spread the gospel, but you just hated doing it? And maybe you don't have to admit it in front of everybody here, but I think we've all been at those place where we felt like we should, but there was no drive in us to do it. We felt like, you know, I know as a believer that's the right thing to do, And I know that when I get to church and they ask me, have I been telling people I want to have an answer? But you know what changes everything is when you actually love the people around you. Because when you really love them, you sharing the gospel with them is not about your reward, not about the stars on your chart. But you sharing the gospel with them is the fact that you love them enough to tell them the truth. You love them enough to want them to have the same life that you have. And that love is not something that should just inspire us, cause us to write a couple songs, ca- cause us to, uh, you know, smile every now and then. That love is meant to control us. He says this, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. He died for all. So that they who live, in other words, not, even though he died for all, not everybody lives. He did pay the price for everybody on the planet, didn't he? There was not one sin left unaccounted for. And yet the Bible tells us that there is a qualification to receiving that love, and that is believing. You had to believe. In, In John chapter 1, it says that all who believed on him, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. And unfortunately, even though he paid the price for everybody, not everybody receives the gift. And it is a gift and it's free not everybody steps into it but those that do those that are alive they that live might no longer live for themselves now the first time you hear that it might sound like a hard challenge I can't live for myself anymore but I tell you it's good news because when you got born again you became part of a family and you got a father and you got a father that cares deeply about you and you know You might say, I'm not allowed to live for myself anymore, and that's true, but I'm going to tell you, you don't have to live for yourself anymore. You know, an orphan who's on the street and has nobody taking care of them, they have to think selfishly, don't they? Because if they don't take care of themselves, no one else will, right? In fact, some of those people might seem pretty selfish to everybody else, they're just trying to survive, But the good news is when you got born again, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. You have a father that takes care of you. He instructed his followers. He said, stop worrying about what you're going to wear. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat. For you have a father that takes care of you and he knows what you need. And if you'll seek his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. He says he even takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. And how much more? He says you're much more valuable than these. How much more will he take care of you? So when we hear this, you don't live for yourself anymore. The first time you hear that you go, oh no. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to. You've got a father that can take care of you. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness. He takes care of the other stuff it says, we might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we know, have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We're gonna talk more about that next week, but for right now, let's just focus on that that thought of being beside ourselves, of being controlled by something, that may sound like a big risk in your life. We spend a lot of our life trying to seem normal to the rest of the world, and the rest of the world's trying to do it as well. Everybody's really spending a, a great amount of energy not to seem weird to everybody. And I thought that might have ended in high school, but it didn't. It just keeps going. And then you have a child, and you have no chance to seem normal to anybody because in the restaurant, he doesn't know what inside voice means yet. <laughs> Maybe this is just my experience in the past couple weeks. But you know how, it's, how it is, we spend so much time concerned about people and what they think of us. And really, this chapter keeps harping on more than one topic, but, but one thing in particular, he says, we're not trying to prove ourselves to you, we're not trying to appear a certain way, we really, the only one we're really trying to please is him. Here's the other thing, because you could just be trying to please God, and because you're trying to please God, you're trying to reach people because you want to please him, but that in itself and by itself was going to be ineffective Because all that's going to be is you, with your work and your effort, trying to do something you can't do on your own. But if you really let God fill you with that love, it's not hard. I mean, there are certain things certainly aren't easy but you don't have to struggle to make yourself want to reach somebody. You don't have to struggle to make yourself think about other people. It's natural to you. When you let that love come into your life, you let that love take over, it will seem unnatural to everyone else because the love of Christ makes no sense to anyone. We've talked about this before, but you think about what love in the world means. I mean, love to everybody else has a lot to do with your reaction to other people and other things, right? Come on, the reason you love that chocolate bar. Now, I don't know if you really love it, but we use the word love, right? I love this chocolate bar. I love this, I love this song. I love all this. And what are we saying? We're saying it makes me feel a certain way and my response to that delicious chocolate bar, my response to that amazing song is I I appreciate it, I've got love for it. And most of the time, if we were to go and interview people on the street and say, are you two married? Yeah, we're married. Do you love each other? Yeah, I love each other. Okay, why do you love each other? And when they start to tell you why, it's going to be a list of things. And this isn't wrong, but it's going to be a list of things that person does for them. This is how they make me feel. This is what they do for me that no one else does for me. And because of that, I love them. But if Jesus had to make a list like that before you ever loved him back and he loved you, because the scripture says while we were sinners, he died for us. He loved you before you ever gave him a reason to love you. It must have seemed insane. In fact, the scripture says for a good man, some people might die. I mean, it's pretty far out thought, right? There are heroes. There are people we like. But even that's far out to say I'd give my life for that person. But it says for a good man, somebody might die for a a nice guy. But he says Christ proved his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Isn't that an amazing thought? We never, I mean, when he died for you, when he demonstrated his love for you, you gave him no reason to like you. I know you. I'm not trying to attack your self-esteem tonight. And you're like, well, all right. I'm not one of those people that's going to tell you, you're just a dirty, stinking worm. And you're just lucky that he doesn't dangle you over the flames of hell. That's not what I'm saying. But I am telling you that we didn't give him any reasons to like us or love us. And he he loved us. The, The love that we have for him now is a response to the love he gave us. It says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us it says this is love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so this is the this is the gospel not that you loved God but that he loved you and so when the love of Christ controls us it's different than another kind of love it's that love that makes no sense and you find yourself loving people that are unlovable I've used this illustration many times, so please forgive me if you've heard it before. But I've noticed in movies and tales of morality, when you're going through school, they like to show you a lot of movies and cartoons or whatever that kind of brings about this basic point that there's a nerd or a total dweeb just a loser, just a, just a wet rag of nothing, you know, and, 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 there's the cool people and, you know, they, they treat them badly and there's that one cool person doesn't feel quite right and they befriend this just total waste of space and they befriend this person and all of a sudden they find out that this person's got a talent or a skill or something, a, a rich dad, something that makes them amazing, And the message is, befriend the losers because you never know if you polish it off what kind of nugget of gold you may find. (laughs) And then you get out in the real world and you try to put that into action. But you find out most of the people that have been rejected all their life, that starts to have an effect on them. And it has such an effect that you reject someone long enough and they turn out, it it kind of affects their personality. And sometimes they're not going to like you back. You know, the first time you see one of those movies as a high schooler, junior high, and you're like, yeah. Or, you know, I remember I grew up in a youth group. So what would happen is you'd get fired up on a Wednesday night. I'm going to go love the unlovable. And you go and you find a total, total, in your mind, somebody that doesn't deserve love. But, of course, if you were thinking like God thinks, of course they deserve love. But you go find somebody that's just nobody likes, and you befriend them, and you're waiting. It's been a week. This person has no special talents that I can see. Their dad's not rich. They can't sing, which on a lot of these movies, it turns out they can sing. What about if they got a makeover? Because some of these movies, they get a total makeover, and wow, you know, there it is. Take your glasses. Oh, my goodness, you took your glasses off. Wow. Now, that didn't work either. Well, maybe it turns out that they've got a heart of gold. You know, all this time being by themselves, they've read poetry, they've just turned into a very loving person. No, turns out they really are mad at the world. well maybe we'll have these you know maybe maybe it'll be like those movies where we go off and they've got a secret tree house and, and we'll find out that we can make great conversation and they're very interesting no the reason that they've been left all alone is because they really can't make a good conversation and, and, and you know what they don't really like you as much as you think that they should like you why don't you like me I'm the superhero I'm the cool person that has befriended you you should appreciate that but they don't turns out that Hollywood's idea is still playing on your sentimental effect, that it's still playing on your emotion, that, you know, if if I give them something, maybe I'll get something back. But Jesus' love didn't say that. His love does not say, you know, it'll be worth it. This person will eventually give you something back. Now, I guarantee his love will change things. And often it changes people in a way you never could understand. But that's not why we love them. We love them because he loved us. And his love for us was so great that we've got more than enough for everyone else. That love controls us. It's not unusual for people who are full of the love of God, full of the spirit of God, to seem absolutely insane to the rest of the world. You may not remember this little Bible story. It wasn't in my picture Bible. But Jesus... Towards the beginning of his ministry, when he first called his disciples, he cast out an evil spirit, it made headlines, and the Bible says that his kinsmen, New American Standard says his people, but literally his his family, his relatives, came and got him. And it says in my Bible, they came to take custody of him. (laughs) And they were telling everybody, don't worry, he's a little crazy, he's out of his mind. That was them trying to be nice. Now, this is Jesus. This is after he's doing miracles. He's got relatives coming to get him, coming to take custody of him, and telling everyone else, please forgive him. He's insane. And the Pharisees, as kind as they were, said, he's not insane, he's got a demon. And Jesus said, I hate to break up this little argument, but I just cast an evil spirit out of a guy and he's better now. And if I had a demon, I wouldn't be casting demons out. And he never really addresses his relatives but I'm sure he gave them a look like, come on. Really? This is what you get. Spend all this time being nice to your family and they come and they're a little embarrassed by you. That sure makes me feel better. Now I don't My family's never treated me that way, yet. But uh, I'm sure some of your family might have. I'm sure some of you have family that are a little concerned. Some of you have told me about the phone calls you've got. I think it's good. I think it's wonderful that you found religion and everything. But don't you think you've gotten a little too religious? No, 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 I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the Bible or any of that good stuff, but don't you think you've taken it a little too far? You got a little too saved. If this was a rare thing, I wouldn't even tell you that. But I've heard it from so many of you. You've got family that think you're nuts, not because you're going out doing weird stuff, but because you're not as selfish as they think you should be they wouldn't say selfish, they'd probably say responsible or something else like that. But it sure makes me feel better to know that even Jesus' family thought he was insane. His family. Did you know, we, we love the book of James, don't we? we love, well, we love all the books, but we, we think James is such a great guy. But do you know James, the brother of Jesus, didn't really believe in Jesus the best I can tell, after Jesus rose from the dead? Because the scripture says in the gospels that there was another time when they came to visit him at a meeting and it said his brothers even didn't believe in him. Even his brothers. So it helps me to know that even Jesus' family was embarrassed and they thought he was crazy. and They told other people he was crazy. It wasn't one of those secret crazies where you try to, you know, slip them pills and not tell anybody. It was one of those crazies that you, crazy is actually the excuse you give to people because crazy is the best thing they could be. And that's what they tell everybody. Because the best possible best possible answer I can give you is he's insane. Please don't don't hurt him. He's always been the weirdo in the family. The story of his origin is a little murky. He and his disciples don't wash their hands and you might say what were they born in a barn? Turns out he was Then later, the apostles come along and they seem to concern at times what people might think of them. When they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're also filled with that love of God. And it causes them to do things they never would do before. You'll recall Peter and John. Jesus used them to heal that man who had been lame for so long sitting at the gate called Beautiful he's walking and leaping and praising God. And naturally, because there's a miracle, because there's a man that never could walk before, the logical thing is to put the people on trial that, that helped him get better. They put, they put him on trial, and they, they say, we can't deny a miracle's happened. Which kind of means, if we could, we would. I mean, they had put a cover-up to, to a resurrection. If they could cover it up, they would. But everybody knew this guy, and he, he's better now. So they say... All we can do is tell you never to use that name again. And they threaten them. I mean, they've been beaten. They've been threatened with death. They say, never use that name. Never teach in that name again. And Peter's response is, we can't help. But talk about the things we've seen and heard. Now, why? Why do you think that Peter and the apostles couldn't help it? Do you think it was because when you see something so out there you have to tell somebody, and you just have to to blurt it out? I think that only goes so far, right? I mean, if I saw a bear walking on two legs playing ping pong, I'd want to tell you, but if somebody said, I'll kill you if you tell that story again, I'd say, done, all right, I didn't see it. (laughs) I don't need to tell that story. There are other stories to tell, See, they're not motivated by the need to get something off their chest. There are two things that are motivating them, their love for God and the love of God. See, they reverence and honor God in such a way that his opinion is the only opinion that really matters. They fear the Lord. But it's not not just honor for God, but it's also that love that he put in them, and they're controlled by it. The reason we spread the gospel is not because we want to get a better uh, report card on Judgment Day. The reason we spread the gospel is because we love these people. We love them. We love them enough to tell them that there's hope, there's life. We love them enough to tell them the truth in love. And it controls us. And when it controls us, we may seem beside ourselves. We may seem out of our minds. It's another... Time when the apostles were preaching and it says that the city got stirred up. They take them and they put them in a public jail. All the apostles, the 12 apostles in one little jail in Jerusalem. I'd love to be in that jail with them. But the scripture tells us that an angel comes and lets them out. And he doesn't say, see the logical, the, the, the sane thing. It's okay, we've overstayed our welcome in Jerusalem. Go somewhere else. At least go underground. Keep it quiet for a while, right? Come on, we, we, you know, I mean, even in Canada, sometimes we'll keep our voice down when we think somebody might not like what we have to say. So we think that the angel lets them out. The, the thing they should do is go hide somewhere for a little bit till things cool down. You just got arrested for, for no real good reason and, and they're going to do something with you. They're not just going to leave you in jail because that's not how the Jews did things. They didn't just leave people to rot in jail. There was something that happened after that. You either were killed, you were beat, stoned, something, whipped. You, something happened. You didn't just get left in a prison. So they got put in a prison. An angel lets them out and the angel says, I want you to go back to the temple, which is at the center of the city. That's where everybody can see you. It it was the temple people that threw them there to start with. I want you to go back to the temple, stand on the front steps and proclaim the message of this life. So they do. Like total insane nutbags, they go back to the place they were arrested. They don't hide. They just start talking. And there's that great moment where the chief priests wake up in the morning and they say, Go check on those guys. And the guy checks on them and he looks and he looks. And what the, the funny thing that I, I, I think is, is he, they go back and report that the guards are still standing there, which is hilarious to me. The guards have not noticed that there's nobody behind them. And they're just standing there. And the doors are still locked. And somehow, the the assistants to the chief priests, so the 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 big shots, they think this is going to to be better if they mention these details. They go, so you know, the guards are still there, <laughs> and the, the doors are still securely locked, but they're not there anymore. And the chief priest go, what? And and then somebody runs in timely and says, um, so they're still kind of standing on the temple steps, talking to everybody right now. I don't know how they got there. We should probably do something about that. And I'm sure somebody got fired. And that'd probably be the best thing that could possibly happen to them is just get fired. What kind of insanity causes you after you've been arrested, threatened, beat up, what causes you to go back to the scene of the crime and just start yelling again? Not even spreading out. Like if they get one of us, we all get away. Standing together, easy targets, in the middle of the city, in the snake's den, right where you shouldn't be. What causes you to do something like that? Well, yeah, they were responding. God told them, so they're going to obey God, right? Because later, that's what Peter says. He says, you've got to make up your mind. We, we've got to obey. We'd rather obey God rather than you. But the other thing is, it's not just pure obedience. Because there's something else in them. That came with that obedience, and that's love. That's the love of God controlling them. In John 3, Jesus says those famous words to Nicodemus. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only uniquely begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In 1 John, he says... You know, 1 John is that love book. We call it love book. It's it's how many times does he say, love, love, love. It's a command to love. Then 1 John, he says, don't love the world or the things in the world. That seems so weird because John 3 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But in 1 John, it says, don't love the world. Well, that's because those people that God loved so much in the world You're supposed to love them. But there's a system out there. There's a culture out there. There's a way of thinking that you're not supposed to fall in love with. And he goes on and he describes it. He says it's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. Let me read it real quick for you in the J.B. Phillips translation because I think he says it quite well. Because there are certain things because of the love of God And we'll wrap up with this thought. But because of the love of God, when you have that love controlling you, there's other things you don't fall in love with. He says this in 1 John chapter 1. Or sorry, chapter 2. Like I said, I'd like to read it to you in this translation so you can hear it in a different way. He says this never give your hearts to this world. Or to any of the things in it a man cannot love the father and love the world at the same time so he's not talking about the people because you're supposed to love the people but those things that you'd fall in love with the, the fame the selfish things everyone else falls in love with he says this for the whole world system it's based on men's desires their greedy ambitions and the glamour of all that they think splendid is not derived from the Father at all, but from the world itself. And the world and all its passionate desires will one day disappear. But the man who is following God's will is part of the permanent and cannot die. In my translation, it says, a man, it says, if you, if you love the world, you, you don't. the love of the Father is not in you. And I say that to say this. We're controlled by the love of Christ. It means that we're gonna, there's gonna be certain things that we love and people we love that we, it doesn't seem like we should love them. And there's other things because we have the love of the Father in us that we don't love. That, we stay, that we just, we're just not driven by the same motives as everyone else. Because the world is driven by those selfish motives. I mean, those things that get them a little further up the ladder. Things that get them a little bit further in life. But the people of God realize that that's all temporary. And we're part of the permanent. We're not part of the temporary. We're part of something far more permanent. We have eternal life. It's not just about what's going on right now. And when you start thinking that way, your goals are different than everyone else around you right your goals are different your hopes are different your dreams are different I mean you start reacting differently because you're not driven by the same desire as everyone else I'm driven by the love of Christ and the love of Christ does not require me to chase the same little balloons that you're chasing the love of Christ is driving me is compelling me to be like Jesus and if Jesus seemed insane I'm okay with seeming insane Paul says, we're a little insane for him and we're of sound mind for you. He says in Romans, I do everything. Everything in my life is for the sake of the gospel. He said, I'll do anything. I, I, I'll become anyone to anybody. I'll become all things to all men so that by any means, any means, I might reach some. And there's nothing more important than that. You know, the reason I'm standing here It's not because I I like to hear my own voice. I really don't. The reason I'm standing here is because the love of God put me here. I'm here because of the love of Jesus, because he loved me and because I love you. And that should be the same motivation while you get up every day. When that's your motivation, you're going to seem a little different than everyone else because there's paths that they'll take that seem logical. You know, when you're offered a promotion at work, hey, maybe it was God, that made that promotion happen, but maybe it wasn't. You're gonna see God, and you're gonna ask him, is that promotion something I'm supposed to take? And there's gonna be times where you don't take it and it seems like it's so logical, It'd make more money, better better hours, it's a better job, why don't you take that? And all you can say is, I'm just following the will of the Father. And that seems insane, but it's the way to life. And there's gonna be other times where you don't, there's no way on earth that you'd ever get that promotion. And if God wants you there, he opens doors that nobody can shut. And He'll put you there. We don't live for the same things. The love of Christ controls us. Now, may I say this? I think it's, it's a healthy thing spiritually for us to analyze our own hearts, for us to examine ourselves every now and then. And every time you pray for somebody, I want you to ask yourself, am I praying for them because I told them I pray for them, that's a good thing. Am I, am I praying for somebody because it's the right thing to do? That's not a bad thing. But would you ta- stop and take a moment and say, God, would you give me a love for that person? Because I guarantee, when you pray in the love of God, that prayer is going to be way more effective. Because that's what that's what drove Jesus. That's what that's what caused him to do what he did. He was filled with the love of the Father, and he honored the Father. These things in your life are going to cause you to do things you never thought you would or should ever do. And they may alienate you from some people who think they have a better, better plan for your life. But put your hands in the hand of Almighty God and every time you step out in love, know this, He loves you enough to take care of you. If you'll spend your life taking care of others, He'll take care of you. If you spend your life loving on others, His love is more than enough. And I pray that each and every one of you have people love you back. But even if you never did. You know, I've said this about my wife, Tia. She's one of the most loving people. And she loves me more than anybody has ever loved me. And I know that's going to be for the rest of my life. We're going to love each other. But even if we didn't, even if she didn't, or even if I didn't, even if it was a one-way love, the love of Christ is enough for me to keep loving her for the rest of my life not waiting on her to love me back, but that love that he gave me is enough. Now I'll never have to do that because we're both we're both, loving Jesus and his love's in both of us, but even if that was the case, there's gonna be people in your life that, that never love you back, never treat you good, never say a nice word about you and you love them because he loved you. You've got something to give. That may seem insane and it probably is, but it's worth it. It's worth every ounce. It's worth every minute. It's worth every day. Live and be controlled by the love of Christ. Ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? If I'm not doing it in love, it's not worth doing. Why am I saying what I'm saying? If I can't teach in love, I should not teach. If I can't rebuke in love, I should keep my mouth shut. If I can't walk in love, I need to spend some time on my knees because that's where the life comes from.